Mark 6, 30 to 32, and the message is titled, The Practice of Sabbath Rest. Here's what we read. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. This is the word of the Lord. Well, several years ago, one of my sons spent a few weeks in Nicaragua. And after he was there for about a week, he concluded that the people there were very lazy. They didn't get up early in the morning to work, and every afternoon they took a siesta. When he returned to Canada, about six weeks later, he concluded that Canadians work way too much. I spent uh, a summer in the Netherlands in 2015, and I observed that people with whom I lived there were much more relaxed than people are here. Uh, in the town where I lived, which was admittedly a small town, many of the shops didn't open till 10 a.m. in the morning, and all of them were closed at 5 p.m. And for me as a North American, it was actually frustrating at times because at 9 a.m. I wanted to run out and get something, and it was a ghost town. The streets were dark, maybe a few pubs open, and that was about it. My friends at the institution where I was at loved sports and watched soccer and had a favorite team that they would watch every week. But I noticed that was the only sport that they watched. And here, of course, in North America, we have baseball and basketball and football and hockey. And if you want, and there are some here who probably do this, you could probably watch sports every night of the week, but is that rest? I think you realize that when we talk about rest, we're talking about time, and I devoted a sermon to the subject of time a while back in which I said that time is a precious gift from God that must be used well. Well, how do we use time well? We use time well when we use it for the purposes for which God gave it. Well, what are the purposes for which God gave us time? Very basically, for work and for rest. We are to divide up the time he gave us into work and rest, right? Work six days and rest the seventh. And our work and our rest are intricately tied to our relationship with Christ. But how? I find it fascinating that in this text that we just heard from the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, Jesus commands his disciples to rest. He doesn't give them the option. He says, get some rest. This is very important, apparently, for our own spiritual health and well-being. And so we're going to integrate this into our rule of life. 
A rule of life, we've been saying, is a set of practices to order our lives around the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've introduced you already to two fundamental practices. Number one, go to church weekly. Number two, pray three times a day. And now, this morning, we're going to hear the third practice in the rule of life. And it is this, rest one day out of seven and rest at least one hour every day. Now, some of you are thinking, well, aren't I sleeping for seven hours or eight hours? But we're going to see that rest is something a little different than sleeping. Rest one day a week and rest at least one hour a day. This is the message we're going to see from Mark chapter 6. And as we make our way through the text, I want to draw your attention to two things. First of all, the burden of busyness, and then secondly, the summons to rest. The burden of busyness, and then the summons to rest. Well, in this particular passage, the disciples of Jesus have just returned from their very first mission trip. If you read the context early in the chapter, you can see that Jesus sent his disciples into the Galilean towns two by two to preach the message. That's why in our text they are called apostles. Not apostle in the technical sense, but apostle simply means sent ones. So they are missionaries. And Jesus has given them authority, the text says, over impure spirits, and they have cast out many demons, and they've anointed people who were sick with oil and healed them. So they've been very, very busy, and they've been busy in a context that was emotionally charged. Because people at this time in the ministry of Jesus had very different ideas about Jesus, some of which were opposite to each other. There were those, we know from the context, who were so enamored with Jesus, so impressed with the miracles that he was doing, that they wanted to make him a king by force. That's something that we're told in the Gospel of John in the neighborhood of uh, this episode in the ministry of Jesus. They wanted to make Jesus king by force, and it's possible that some of Jesus' disciples were sympathetic to this idea. But we also know that at this very time, there were those who wanted Jesus eliminated. The fame of Jesus and his disciples, and stories about the miracles that Jesus was performing, had reached the ears of Herod. King Herod was famous, of course, for having John the Baptist beheaded, and he was plagued by guilt. And so when he heard stories about Jesus, he thought, well, maybe this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. The apostles went on their first mission trip in an emotionally charged context with a lot of political maneuvering. And they were busy. They had a busy itinerary. They went from town to town, village to village, and the text says there were people coming and going, many people making demands on them, many people wanting to see them. And they were so busy that they didn't even have time to eat. Now, what is the result of busyness in an emotionally charged environment? 
the result is stress. And stress is physiological. High blood pressure, increased heart rate. And what does prolonged stress produce? Burnout. Depression, emotional emptiness, a sense of hopelessness. Now, it's very hard, don't you agree with me, to find rest in our society. And what's the culprit? I think the culprit, at least one of the culprits, would have to be technology. Have any of you watched the show Little House on the Prairie? Do you remember that show? You may have read the stories. I watched the TV show in lieu of reading the stories. Probably should have read the stories. Ma and Pa worked very hard during the day. And what did they do in the evening? They rested. There wasn't light to do any work. Well, technology has made it possible for many of us to work anywhere at any time. It's not true of all of us, but it's true for some of us. We can work anywhere at any time. And so our homes, in many cases, are no longer places of rest. This is why in my own ministry, I've always been very insistent to have a study in the church. Many of my friends have a study in the home, but I wanted a kind of rule for my own life that I would never, ever do work at home, which is something I honor for the most part. I have no desk at home. I have no, I have no books at home now for other reasons, but I try not to do any work at home so that home can be a place where I'm available to my family, and home can be a place of rest for me. Now, before you think I'm some great saint that we should all follow, I'm not home enough. That's my problem. We live in a world where people take work home, and, and sometimes you have to. We also live in a world of digital media. There are people I know who check their email in bed, they check their email at night. They check their email in the morning in bed. And of course, that diminishes our sleep and our times of reflection. Here's the thing. You can engage in physical labor for 12 hours a day and work six days a week and still be reasonably healthy. What affects us greatly is mental strain that can have an immense negative impact and the negative impact isn't just physiological it isn't just increased heart rate and high blood pressure the impact can be spiritual and so I think we need to say of busyness what we say of sin kill it or it will kill you kill it or it will kill you now, there are three negative implications of busyness that I want to draw your attention to. And the first is that busyness can distort our joy. If you live a frantic and frenetic life, you will probably find that you're agitated. You'll probably find that you're irritable. You'll probably find that people maybe don't want to be around you because you've been robbed of your joy. Secondly, busyness can distract our hearts. Some of you here might be familiar with the parable of the sower that Jesus teaches, you know, where the farmer sows various seeds and one of those seeds becomes a plant and it grows, but it's choked 
Jesus says, by thorns or by weeds. What are those thorns? What are those weeds? Well, he identifies them, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for more, the busyness of life, wanting a new and a bigger house, a faster car, the latest smartphone, the newest video game for which we have to work and work and work. These kinds of things, this kind of busyness can choke our spiritual life and crowd out any time that we might have for prayer or meditation. Thirdly, busyness can disguise our idols, and there are a lot of idols behind busyness. And I find this is very true for myself, and I don't know what the idols are for you, but I want to have a significant life. I don't want my life to be trivial or meaningless or silly. I want to be needed. I want to to be demanded. I want people to say, oh, we need Pastor Bill to do this and that. And that gives you a feeling of worth. But when you think about it, it's idolatry, isn't it? The idolatry of relevance or the idolatry of productivity Busyness is like sin, kill it, or it will kill you. Now, I want to read a quote. It's quite lengthy, but it's very profound and insightful by Thomas Merton in his book, Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander. Listen to what he says. I'll I'll read it and then make some comments about it. There is a pervasive form of contemporary violence to which the idealist most easily succumbs, activism and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form, of its innate violence. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything is to succumb to violence. The frenzy of our activism neutralizes our work for peace. It destroys our own inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitfulness of our work because it kills the root of inner wisdom which makes work fruitful. That's a mouthful, but did you discern the wisdom in it? Do you see how busyness is violence? It's violence to the peace within our own lives. We are to be at peace. We are to be at rest. And if we're frantic and frenetic and busy going here, going there, helping this person, helping that person, we've lost the peace in our lives. And if we've lost the peace in our lives, we are now unable to bring peace to the lives of other people. I thought that was very insightful. When we think of violence, we think of stabbing somebody or shooting somebody. But maybe busyness is the most common kind of violence in our lives. So the disciples here are busy in an emotionally charged context and they do the right thing. The disciples, if you read through the Gospels, often do the wrong thing. Here they do the right thing. The text says they gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had taught and done. By the way, these are the first two rules. Go to church weekly or gather around Jesus 
and then pray three times a day. Report to Jesus what you have done and taught. Gather around Jesus and talk to him. And here's where we find the first good news in this passage. What does Jesus do when the apostles talk to him? He listens. He listens to everything they say. He listens to the full report. And why does Jesus listen? Because he cares. And if you are busy, you should go to Jesus, and you should be sure that Jesus will listen to whatever you say. And why will Jesus listen? Because Jesus cares. But now note with me, secondly, that Jesus doesn't just listen. He does something. And what he does is he gives a command. It isn't just an invitation to rest. It is a summons. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. <clears throat> now, this is, of course, what... <clears throat> excuse me. This is, of course, what Jesus himself would do on occasion. Earlier in the Gospel of Mark, you find him in Capernaum, and uh, there all the sick and the demon-possessed come to the door, and you find that Jesus is casting out demons and he's healing people. The text says the whole town gathered around Jesus, and he was very busy. And then it goes on to say, I think it's verse 35 of Mark 1, early in the morning, long before dawn, Jesus got up and went to a solitary place and prayed. And here in our text, he's saying to the disciples, this is what I did in the context of busyness. I went away to a place of seclusion and prayed. Now it's your turn. Come with me by yourselves to a deserted place. There are actually three movements in Jesus' summons, and I think they are the three ingredients in biblical rest. First, come by yourself. Don't bring people with you, those people who are making demands on your life. Don't bring anything that is making demands on your life. Don't bring your computer. Don't bring your smartphone. Keep away those things, those people, those technologies that are making you so busy. Come by yourselves. I wonder, do you know why conferences and summer camps and retreats are places where people experience conversion, where people experience spiritual growth. Do you know why that is? It's my thesis that it's not simply because of the wisdom that they're hearing imparted at a conference. It's not just because of the insights they're obtaining at the summer camp. It's because they're away from the demands of their lives and they have time to think, to meditate on Scripture, to read, to pray, and to worship. And in those times, we experience spiritual growth. Come by yourself, secondly, to a quiet place, a secluded place, a solitary place, to leave behind the demands on your life, you need to find somewhere you can go. 
And I can't tell you what that place is for you. It may be within your own house, within your own apartment. Now, I wonder how many people here have a TV in their bedroom. I love having a TV in my bedroom. I think it's the most amazing thing. You, you know, two of my favorite things, lying in bed and watching TV, and you can do them at the same time. You just sit back and watch. But I was going to say Kim won't let me have a TV. That's probably not phrasing it quite accurately. Kim does not endorse this proposal, and it's because she's smarter than I am. And she knows that bedrooms should be places for rest and sleep, and they shouldn't be contaminated by other distractions. What is your place of rest and refreshment? Ideally, if you're mobile, it's outside of your house. And even if you live in the urban core of Hamilton, you can find a quiet place. It doesn't take long to get from here to Princess Point, for example, where there are beautiful trails. You can go to Bayfront Park uh, on James Street North. Away from the demands of your life, without your smartphone, without a laptop, without any books, not simply to rest, but to pray and to worship and to meditate Thirdly, get a little rest. Come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get a little rest. Isn't this one of the most beautiful commands that Jesus gives? About 15 years ago, I was in a debate with a theologian who said, we need to make a a very strict distinction between law and gospel. Law, he says, always wounds and The gospel always heals. There's no command in Scripture that we can obey, and so all the commands of Scripture make us despair and drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was arguing with him that sometimes the law is gospel, which he thought was a theological blunder. And he said to me, well, give me one command that is good news. And I said to him, well, how about the command, do not fear? When I hear the command, do not fear, I don't despair and say, oh, no, I can't keep this command. This is awful. I need to run to Jesus for forgiveness. And this would be another command. It's a beautiful command. It's a gospel command. Get some rest. You know, since working on this message, I thought, I'm going to spend a lot of time in my recliner at 123 Stanley, And if any one of you are to come by my house and see me just sitting back there in my recliner and ask me what I'm doing, I'm going to say, I'm obeying the law of Jesus. Jesus tells me to get some rest. Well, the rest that Jesus prescribes here is more than leisure. It isn't simply sleep. It certainly isn't entertainment or recreation, both of which are wonderful, both of which are good and necessary. It's not watching football, and it's not playing football. It's not merely self-care or 
me time. It's certainly not self-indulgence, but it's spiritual nourishment. When Jesus got up early in the morning and went to a solitary place to, to enjoy rest, he didn't take a nap there, but he spent time with his Father, and he prayed, and he meditated on the promises of God, and he experienced spiritual refreshment. Come by yourselves to a quiet place and get a little spiritual refreshment. Spend time in prayer with the Father. Well, here we get a glimpse of the Sabbath principle. Rest one day in seven. You know, even if we had not fall, fallen into sin, we still would have rested one day in seven. Have you ever thought about that? It was God's intention from the beginning, even before sin was in the world, that there would be a week of seven and that one day would be a day of rest because that's what God himself did, didn't he? He created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And that is the, one of the bases for the fourth commandment. It's the basis that we find in Exodus chapter 20. We are to rest on one day out of the week because God himself rested. Now, why do you think God rested after the week of creation? Was it because he was exhausted? Was he fatigued, tired? Did he need to catch his breath? Not at all. Of course not. But it was a day to enjoy his creation. Time to work and a time to enjoy. And he invited Adam and Eve before the fall into sin to enjoy the creation with him. But you know that uh, the Ten Commandments are found not only in Exodus 20, but also in Deuteronomy 5. And in Deuteronomy 5, you get a different basis for the fourth commandment there. God says, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and you shall not work. And then what does he say? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The rationale is different in Deuteronomy 5 than it is in Exodus 20, remember that you were slaves. And I think we need to remember that Jesus came in part to deliver us from slavery. And when Jesus died on the cross, he delivered us, he freed us from being slaves to the devil, to sin, and to ourselves. And we died with him, Paul says, and when Jesus rose from the grave. He entered into the fullness of Sabbath rest, and we entered with him. And so Jesus, you see, has freed us from all slavery. So don't be slaves to your calendar. Don't be slaves to your agenda. Don't be slaves to making money. Don't be slaves to productivity. Don't be slaves to industry. Don't be slaves to Relevance. Don't be slaves to celebrity. Don't bow down to them or worship them. Because busyness can distort our joy. Busyness can distract our hearts. Busyness can disguise our idols. So, practice number three. To reorder your life 
around Christ rest one day, a full day out of seven, and rest at least one hour every day, not sleeping, not watching Netflix, not reading a book, but praying, worshiping, meditating, processing what God is doing in your life, what God has done in your life, what you need God to do in your life. Leave behind the demands on your life, be they people or things or technologies. Find a quiet place, a place of seclusion, and get some rest. Pray, meditate, worship, celebrate, because Jesus has freed you from all slave masters. Let's pray together. Gracious God, so often we reduce the gospel to forgiveness as if that's all that Jesus accomplished on the cross. We pray that you would enlarge our understanding of the cross to recognize that Jesus has also freed us from tyrannies has freed us from slave masters, have broken the shackles. So we're liberated to live for you and to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Enable us in our lives to see the idols that captivate us, that offer us promises for which they can never deliver, that offer us meaning, significance, relevance, popularity, celebrity, productivity, And help us instead, increasingly, to find our joy, our contentment, our meaning, our value in you. So we pray this morning, Father, that you would enable each of us to pause for a day a week. To pause for at least an hour a day. So that our hearts, our minds, our bodies can be reordered around the Lord Jesus Christ in whom alone we find meaning and significance and hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.